Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy, happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome into the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. This is J.C. Sherbert with you. It's May 19th. The month of May has just flown by, folks. Hard to believe next weekend's Memorial Day weekend, and then we're into the month of June, and away we go. Before you know it, football season will be here. Uh, Certainly this offseason, looking forward to having a a normal time period. I think last year during the pandemic and all, you know, July started rolling around, and no SEC media days, no nothing. Will they play? Are they not going to play? Uh, schedule reveals, you know, different kinds of uh, playing it by ear for the different conferences. Big Ten, Pac-12 didn't play, and then they were. All that. I guess it was interesting to follow. But, uh, you know, I think around the middle of September, I'm sitting there thinking it's August. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of got my clock all messed up. So I was like – I'm looking forward, you know, to, to kind of getting back to where Labor Day weekend is that weekend where everything kicks off and <clears throat> looks like we're going to have 100% capacity in most places that, uh, you know, use some common sense, in my opinion. Um, I think you may have a couple of holdouts or stragglers in certain states, but, uh, you know, for the most part, when, when you have places like Boston, Massachusetts going full capacity for the Red Sox and Hopefully, you know, they'll have the Patriots here in the fall. I mean, it, it, it's pretty much going to be, uh, you know, places in the extreme minority where they're not really following science. And, you know, they're probably the first person last summer to tell you they were following science. Um, and I kind of hate that term now, follow the science. Uh, I think it's ruined science because it's been so politicized. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. Um, <clears throat> you know, looking like full capacity, it's – uh, going to be a good time for the Gamecocks because you got a new head coach, so that's always going to drum up some interest. Pretty good home schedule. Uh, pretty good away games, too, going to East Carolina for the first time since 97. Uh, and, you know, williams Bryce Stadium last offseason uh, underwent some remodeling. They added some of those club levels, stuff like that. People didn't really get a chance to enjoy that uh, last year with the limited crowds and – you know, you 15,000 in the stadium just didn't feel right. Uh, you know, believe me, I, I've seen Williams Bryce before at the end of blowout games, either way, uh, look like that crowd wise, but, uh, it was a little disturbing to see it for the whole game, not just at Carolina, but everywhere else seemed like, you know, just a, a bunch of spring games crowd wise. Uh, and so I think it's going to be a good deal. Uh, I'm looking forward to the football season. And like I said, once you hit Memorial day, it's sort of right around the corner. Uh, lots of stuff to do before then, though, um, including recruiting, and we're going to get to that for a second. Uh, kickoff times have started to trickle out, I guess. The ACC released their major game schedule, and that affects some SEC teams. You got Clemson and Georgia kicking off at 730 at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte and the Dukes Mayonnaise Kickoff Classic. I think that's what they're calling it now. Uh and I know everybody's going to be watching that one. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's a game that Gamecock fans normally tune into. I think some people don't know 
who exactly to pull for in that one. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you who to pull for. I, I'll tell you, I think Clemson will win. That's just my, you know, 10,000 foot view of that game as we stand here in May. But, uh, well, you probably don't want to hear that, but, uh, you know, that's just kind of how I think it'll go. And I'm interested to see the crowd in Charlotte too. I think that this is a matchup because they don't play very often. And because they've both been so good the last five years and, uh, all our six years, really, I guess we're going on six years. Uh, you know, they're not going to have problems selling it out. And they got an optimal kickoff time, too. Unlike the Gamecocks, who the times they've played up there, you know, it's either been in, in 2011, it was a night game, but it was East Carolina. Uh, 2015 uh, was probably the worst kickoff decision I've ever seen for a neutral site game. North Carolina, South Carolina at 6 p.m. on a Thursday in downtown Charlotte. Anybody that knows anything about downtown Charlotte knows it's not that easy to navigate uh, at that time of day during a work day. Um, so that held the crowd back. And then 2017, it wasn't as hot as it could have been against NC State. I was actually at that game. It actually was kind of pleasant. But uh, afternoon kickoff in the sun and the same thing with the North Carolina game in 2019, which was a disappointing crowd to say the least. Uh Maybe a different time. I think, you know, maybe some more Gamecock fans would have showed up in 2019. But, you know, and and look, I, I think once you go to a, a place a few times uh, these days, you know, people get sick of going or whatever um, and get sick of playing the same teams. You know, North Carolina twice in four years up there. They're going to play again in 2023. But I think Bank of America Stadium will be pretty much packed for um, – Clemson and Georgia. I think it's going to be a tough ticket to to, to take, but uh, I think it always is. And, and it's interesting they're playing up in Charlotte, to be quite frank with you. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens at 730. Miami plays Alabama and Atlanta. Uh, and, and, look, talk to some Alabama fans if you ever feel bad about, you know, the, the fatigue for the Charlotte game because they're really fatigued about neutral side games in general. In Tuscaloosa, I go on the radio down there every Wednesday morning, just got done with my segment this week. And, and that's a topic that comes up, you know, Alabama fans want more home and homes. You know, there's some seasons where if they have a neutral site game and they don't get a great draw from the West, let's say the Iron Bowl is not in Tuscaloosa, you know, or LSU, you know, I think those two games flip flop, but uh, it's not a great home schedule depending on who they draw from the East. I don't think they've lost to the East since they've lost to the Gamecocks in 2010. But, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, you know, Alabama fans are, hey, look, we want we want more games on our campus and we want to go to other campuses. And they have a bunch uh, of, of home and home scheduled in the future. And I'm going to get into that in a second because I did a breakdown of the SEC future schedules and kind of saw how it compared to Carolina. But, you know, don't feel bad about it. I, I, I think – the Charlotte games are sort of a missed opportunity. Uh, I, I think in a lot of ways, it may have been smarter to start with a North Carolina, South Carolina, or South Carolina, NC State back in 2011, because a, a lot of folks went to that East Carolina game. Um, it just wasn't a very good atmosphere. It was an exciting game, 56-37. Gamecocks had some drama in that one, but, uh, you know, it's East Carolina. you know, And then you kind of move on forward. Uh, 2015, again, bad kickoff time. The 2017 crowd was actually pretty good for NC State and the Gamecocks. 
But then you turn right back around in 2019, coming off a disappointing finish uh, where you're in that stadium. You got shut out by Virginia, left a lot of bad taste in people's mouths. So, anyway, that, that's the point there about Charlotte, Clemson, and Georgia and all that. But you got Alabama, Miami, uh, Clemson, Georgia on that first weekend. Gamecocks kickoff time against Eastern Illinois. I, I pretty much resigned myself to the fact it's probably going to be at noon just because if you look at the week one schedule – it's not, you know, one of the <laughs> needless to say marquee matchups. Um, <laughs> to say the least, you know, it, it's sort of, uh, you know, you sort of look at it and it's, uh, you know, Eastern Illinois, Carolina. Yeah, I mean, there's some snoozers. You got LSU, UCLA. Uh, that's going to be big time TV game. But Rice and Arkansas, Akron and Auburn, FAU and Florida. Louisiana, Monroe, and Kentucky, Louisiana Tech, Mississippi State, Central Michigan, Missouri, Eastern Illinois, the Gamecocks, Bowling Green in Tennessee, Kent State, Texas A&M, East Tennessee State, and Vandy. Um, and then the Monday game, you got Louisville and Ole Miss. Uh, it's already, and that was scheduled, too, for an 8 p.m. kickoff on, um, from Atlanta on uh, Labor Day night. Yeah, so so maybe, you know, looking at it now, maybe with Beamer and it being his first game uh, and the fact that the Gamecocks typically have opened at noon if they aren't playing a marquee opponent, maybe they'll push it back to about four. At least, you know, when, when you get to four, you know, about the third or fourth quarter, it starts to cool off a bit uh, in Columbia. But, you know, we'll see. I've kind of resigned myself. It's going to be SEC Network, maybe probably SEC Network alternate. Um I mean, you know, again, these other schools too, you know, okay, so Vanderbilt plays a, an FCS team and the Gamecocks, Eastern Illinois is FCS, all these other group of five. Yeah, you know, I don't know if that makes a difference or not, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But that, that sh- sometimes the SEC makes a big production of it. And so you may have to wait for some sort of like schedule reveal show or something to find out when the Gamecocks are playing. But all right, so, so looking at it, breaking it down sort of, Sort of realistically here. So, LSU-UCLA, it's a home game for UCLA. That's probably going to go to Fox. I could see ETSU-Vandy maybe in a night game on ESPNU or the Gamecocks in Eastern Illinois. Because sometimes if you get, like, the worst matchup, they do they shove you to prime time because you're not competing against the big games. And I know probably some of you. Um, Alabama Miami, by the way, is at 3.30 uh, p.m. on ABC. Um, it's not Central Time. Uh, the Bama release <laughs> – Bama's in Central – the Central Time Zone, so they said 2.30. It was 3.30 and then 7.30 for Georgia Clemson. Um, yeah, I, I could see them – you know, a lot of times A&M prefers to open at night. Uh, I could see FAU Florida being on one of the ESPN channels early in the day. Maybe Rice and Arkansas. That's an old Southwest Conference matchup. I don't know. You know, so sometimes, I mean, they could get pushed to four. Uh, I, I have a noon feeling about this one, uh, but maybe not. Because sometimes if you're like the worst of the matchups, they, like I said, they'll shove you into that 7 p.m. ES, ESPNU kickoff, uh, you know, which I, I don't know. You know, a lot of fans would have their other games on during the day. Night games are always nice, though, especially – uh, when it's hot like that, so we'll see. That's that's the that's the deal with the the scheduling. I think at any point, even if 
you know, we look at it and, um, you know, you're listening to this podcast and the kickoff times have already been announced. Then, um, you know, that's, uh, that's fine. You know, and, uh, just forgive me for that, but cause I'm, I'm recording this at 10 o'clock in the morning on uh, Monday, May 19th. So speaking of schedules, all right. So I went through and I, I broke down, you know, the Gamecocks signed a deal on Monday to play North, excuse me, North Carolina home and home 2028, 2029, moving away from sort of the neutral side game. So there's three games with the heels scheduled uh, in the next decade, 2023 in Charlotte again, and that's the last Charlotte game that's scheduled for a while, the 2028-2029. Gamecocks have a home-and-home home with Miami in 26 and 27. They play Virginia Tech in the Chick-fil-A kickoff in 2025, plus go to App State, uh, play in the Mountaineers in Boone. Um, so I went through and looked, and I was like, you know, I think a lot of these schools in the SEC have dramatically different um, scheduling philosophies. And I think the Gamecocks are kind of on the conservative end in terms of, you know, exotic destinations and things like that. They sort of kind of stay in their area. Uh, you know, Miami's the further, you know, the longest road trip, obviously. Uh, they got Virginia Tech scheduled in the 2030s. You know, and then it's NC State, North Carolina, which are the teams Gamecocks have played for a while sporadically. Um and then there's Kentucky. So, so I'm going to go through it. Let's look at Alabama. I mean, in, in Alabama, like I said, they've listened to their fans. They're, they're, they're really good. So uh, it doesn't – I don't know that it matters. <laughs> uh, but look, I mean, look, starting in 2020 – and Alabama did schedule a two-for-one with USF where they'll go to South Florida and play in Tampa in 2023. And then they have two home games with the Bulls. But, but, but look at this. Starting in 2025, the two non-conference that are scheduled at Florida State at home against Wisconsin. And that follows a trip to Madison in 2024. Alabama's going to Madison. Uh, 2026, and this is an interesting thing because of kind of where Nick Saban's from and who he grew up pulling for. They open at West Virginia, and they got another home game with USF, and they play Florida State in Tuscaloosa. So West Virginia, Florida State. 2027, West Virginia comes to Tuscaloosa. They play at Ohio State. Here's the kicker. 2028, Alabama's first two games are at Notre Dame and then at home against Ohio State. <laughs> uh, Nick Saban's serious when he, he says they can play an all-power five schedule. Um, you know, Arkansas is sort of staying in their neighborhood. Road games, Memphis, Oklahoma State, Tulsa, Memphis and Tulsa are sort of right across the border from Arkansas and Oklahoma and Tennessee, respectively. But they also have a home-and-home home with Utah and a home-and-home home with BYU. Interesting road trips. Four games with Oklahoma State coming up. But uh, to me, you know, I thought, you know, that that's interesting. Uh, BYU is on a lot of schedules. Auburn, uh, which Auburn's philosophy usually is, you know, four cupcakes in the SEC schedule. They'll, they'll – they'll, occasionally slide a Pac-12 team in where they don't go. I mean, I think they played Washington State at home a couple years ago, but they did not, you know, it wasn't a home at home. They didn't make a return trip to Pullman. Uh, but they've got, you know, they got Penn State next year um, in, in Auburn. They play it at Penn State this season. At, uh, home and home with California. The, so they get to go to the Bay Area. Uh, home and home with Baylor. You get to go to Waco. And then they're right back out on the West Coast again with UCLA. The latter part of the decade, Florida is really interesting. Florida is usually good 
for three cupcakes and FSU, but you know, home and home with Utah starting next season. They got a two for one with USF. They play Miami. They have a home and home with NC State. They go to Raleigh in twenty twenty six. Have the Wolfpack at the Swamp in twenty thirty two. They got a home and home with California, just like Auburn. Home and home with Colorado. Home and home with Texas, and home and home with Arizona State. So the Gators are evolving. Georgia, th- this is ridiculous. They, they, uh, you know, because Georgia, Georgia and Florida are interesting case studies because they both have ACC rivals. Uh, it's Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, with the ACC annual rivalry games, and, and Georgia, and I, and I know Georgia Tech's been down, and you know they're probably not going to be back for a while, but uh, and Georgia sort of shooting for that playoff every year. But, you know, 2022, they play Oregon and Atlanta. Uh, and this is with Georgia Tech every year. 2023 at Oklahoma. 2024, they play Clemson and Atlanta. They have a home and home with UCLA, 25 and 26. They have a home and home with Louisville at 26 and 27. Florida State. You know, so, so the schedule of 2026, not conference-wise for the dogs, UCLA at Louisville and Georgia Tech plus one or um, 2027 at Florida State, Louisville at Georgia Tech. 2028 and 2029, that's when it gets ridiculous. 2028, Georgia's not conferences, or 2027, they're not conferences at Florida State, Louisville, and at Georgia Tech. And you get a 2028 at Texas, <laughs> at Texas, Florida State at home, and Georgia Tech. And then 2029, 2030, it, it, it doesn't slow down in Athens. Uh, 2029 is Texas coming to Athens, Clemson in Death Valley, and then at Georgia Tech. 2030 is Clemson in Athens, Ohio State in Athens, and Georgia Tech in Athens. 2031 at Ohio State, Oklahoma in Athens at Georgia Tech, and then they got two more with Clemson towards the end. Kentucky's not buying any of it. You look at their future schedules, it's uh, they play at Akron and at Toledo, and other than that, other than Louisville, that's it. Um, LSU sort of trying home and homes with, I mean, they got two neutral site games of Florida state in new Orleans and Orlando. Uh, they play UCLA in the return game in Baton Rouge in 2024. They got Clemson in 25, 26, Oklahoma, 27, 28, Arizona state, 29, 30 and Utah, 2031, 32. Missouri is intriguing. <laughs> they've they've set up a bunch of games with Kansas and Illinois, which are, are their border rivals. They're also playing Kansas State, but they're also a team that you know South Carolina fans grumble and complain, and, and rightfully so because I, I agree with this. South Carolina should not go, and unless it's just very beneficial, like like the Alabama USF thing, because Bama recruits Florida. When you play at USF, it's it's in a it's in Raymond James Stadium, so it's a big pro stadium. It's almost like a neutral site game anyway. Um, unlike going to UCF, which the Gamecocks did in 2013, they were lucky to win. That was UCF's best team uh, until the undefeated team in 2017. Gamecocks eked out a victory, but that that UCF has its own stadium, its own campus. They didn't play that at the Citrus Bowl. So, um, but Missouri. Unlike, you know, some other schools, they, they don't care. I mean, check this out. 2022, they go at Middle Tennessee State and at Kansas State. And then 2023, they go at Memphis. 2024, they go at UMass. Then the Kansas game starts. And, and look, that's a – people ask, you know, people want to know why Missouri sort of considers South Carolina its rival. 
because their biggest rival, Kansas, they don't play them, but they're playing them again in 2025. But they go to Miami of Ohio uh, in 2026 at Kansas and at Illinois, two border games. They used to play an Illinois game in St. Louis. Maybe they do it again. I don't know. Uh, then Illinois and then at San Diego State. This is the first of four games against the Aztecs, two and two. Um, 2029, they're at Northern Illinois. 2030, they're at North Texas. 2031, at Florida Atlantic. Uh, they got Colorado in there. And they go back and play San Diego State. And then in 2035, they're at BYU. You know, so Missouri is very interesting. I don't, you know, I, I think people would complain. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I mentioned they're playing at Florida Atlantic in Boca Raton in 2031. Um, like, like if I were a Missouri person, you know, going to Memphis is fine. It's a fun city. It's kind of right, you know, it's closer to Columbia, Missouri than you would think. Certainly don't mind playing Illinois, Kansas State, Colorado, Kansas. Those are old school, you know, teams that Missouri fans like to play. Am I going to be fired up about taking a road trip to Oxford, Ohio? Am I going to be fired up about, you know, maybe UMass is interesting because, it, you know, you fly into Boston and have a good time. Um, and But Missouri's playing Boston College on the road. So I, I don't know. Uh, Florida Atlantic, because it's Florida, maybe. I'm pretty fired up about San Diego. But, I mean, that, that's just very weird because there's nobody else that's really done that and scheduled like Missouri. I mean, Kentucky obviously has their philosophy of Missouri. So that's two SEC East teams that, you know, South Carolina's scheduling philosophy is probably more challenging than to a certain extent, but not as creative. Not as creative. <laughs> Excuse me. Mississippi State – and a lot of schools do this. They sort of stay in the neighborhood, and then you're like, wow, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, Mike Leach is the coach there. So 2028, they got Texas – 2028-29, they have home-and-home home with Texas Tech. 2030 and 31, home-and-home home with Washington State. So if the Pirate lasts that long, you know, they'll get to play their teams. They have a home-and-home home with Tulane and Memphis, which makes sense for them. But then – they also have a home and home with Arizona, home and home with Arizona State, home and home with Minnesota, home and home with Texas Tech and Washington State. So they're going to Pullman. They're going to Tucson. They're going to Tempe. They're going to Minneapolis. It's very eclectic. Ole Miss uh, also has a home and home with BYU. It seems like everybody does. Uh, they have some group of five road game at Tulane, uh, and then they play at South Alabama and at UConn, which is weird. Uh, they also have home and home with Virginia Tech. They're playing Purdue uh, and playing the Oregon State Beavers. So in 2030, they're going to Corvallis. Oh, and, and they also – this is interesting, too. They scheduled uh, – they, and then they have Southern Cal uh, home and home and Wake Forest home and home uh, and Georgia Tech home and home. Uh, but they play at Charlotte, 49ers. Texas A&M – sort of like LSU in the sense they, they've got one game. I and mean, you, you don't know what's going to happen with the schedule with Texas. You know, uh, the government in the state of Texas loves to mandate things. I don't know why they don't just mandate that they play. But 2022-23, they play Miami, 24-25 Notre Dame, 26-27 Arizona State, 28-29 Louisville. So the Aggies are going out and, you know, and, and normally, you know, A&M will play like a Pac-12 team and then three cupcakes. Tennessee, uh, normally, 
has kind of been the pioneer in the league when they go play creative schedules. You know, we remember Oregon's on the schedule, Oklahoma's on the schedule, with the exception of when Damon Evans was the AD at Georgia. And my Georgia buddies talk about this. For for years, they were like, you know, Arizona State was a home-and-home. Colorado was a home-and-home. They they couldn't figure it out. Um, Georgia fans are fine if you go, you know, play every now and then. But then certainly coming up, it's going to get ridiculous. But – Back in the, in the time, they're like, why, why are we playing these games? But uh, Tennessee's always done that. And they have Pittsburgh at home this year. They get two Pittsburgh in 2022. 2023, they're at BYU. That's a return game for that game they lost in 2019. 2024, Oklahoma comes to Tennessee. I think they lost that Oklahoma game this past year at Oklahoma. Uh, they have a home and home in Nebraska in 26-27. And then they got West Virginia again in Charlotte, just like they opened the 2019 season uh, and the Dukes Mayonnaise Classic or whatever. Tennessee's schedule is not, you know, they, and it's probably because of the transition they've had and, philo- you know, different philosophies. Because coaches, th- these things are scheduled far in advance, but the coaches that are there have influence over it. In other words, you're going to see – uh, you know, the the game at East Carolina this year is a result of a series contract they signed with ECU when Spurrier was there. I remember the press release talking about how he looked forward to playing Skip Holtz's team. <laughs> I don't think they ever played Skip Holtz's team. But uh, that's uh, – and, and that was supposed to be, you know, two in Columbia, one in Charlotte, one in Greenville, or three in Columbia, something like that. Uh, and, and so the coaches sort of set that up. Now this App State thing came about during during the Spurrier era, the latter part of it, but also during Ray Tanner. Um, Eric Hyman was responsible for ECU and then the UCF thing. So for, for whatever, uh, Vanderbilt does its own thing. Really good road trips. If you're a Vandy fan, they also are going to Northern Illinois for whatever reason. That. I don't know, man. I mean, it, it isn't even that close to Chicago, just, just to be honest. Um, anyway, Commodores go to Fort Collins, Colorado this season, play Colorado State, and they also play at Colorado State in 2026. Sean Elliott scores a big home game with Vandy in 2024. Uh, they have a return trip to UNLV in 2023, Vegas, baby. So in 2022, they go to Hawaii, Honolulu, and then Northern Illinois. Uh, 2023, they go at Wake Forest, and they've played Wake Forest a bunch, but then at UNLV, Vegas. 2024, Virginia Tech is at home, and then at Georgia State in Atlanta. Uh, 2025, at Virginia Tech. Uh, They finally have Stanford on the schedule. They have them this year, 2027, 2032, 2033. Uh, And I believe they have a home and home with Purdue. Um, Maybe SMU, too. I don't know if they play at SMU or not. They got SMU. Yeah, at SMU 2028 is the home game. 2029 is the road game. Vanderbilt's interesting. Clemson uh, – and, and Carolina plays Clemson every year, so it's relevant. And, and they, they sort of – because of their deal with Notre Dame in the ACC, and, and they play Carolina every year, you know, they, they don't have as many open spots uh, as maybe other schools do, or, or they haven't sold out to the – the Georgia philosophy, you know, just yet where they're just like, or Alabama where they're just going to play whoever. I mean, Alabama's opening with Notre Dame and Ohio State. Now that's a, and look, we don't know what Notre Dame or Ohio State is going to be like, or Alabama for that matter, by 2028. 
But right now it's like, wow, <laughs> that's, that's bold. Um, so Clemson play, you know, they play the Gamecocks every year. Notre Dame, 2022-23. Georgia and Atlanta, 2024. Five and six, LSU is a home and home. Notre Dame's back in seven and eight. Home and home with Georgia, 29-30. Notre Dame's back in 31. Home and home with Georgia, 32-33. So four out of five years, they're Georgia. They're, they're, they're playing Georgia, uh, home and home. Notre Dame's back one year in 2034. I don't know how they determine this Notre Dame thing. Sometimes it's back-to-back, sometimes it's not. And then 35-36, they got a home and home with Oklahoma. So that's sort of their philosophy. And um, I went through all that to sort of compare and contrast. And, and I think the, ta- the big takeaway is this. The Gamecocks – are, are a little more conservative in terms of, of staying in the area, you know, uh, where they want to play. They, you know, there's no road trips to BYU on the Gamecock schedule, although that'd be a great road trip, honestly. Or U- Utah would actually be better, I think, because Utah. Salt Lake City, they're a little bit less uh, strict with the tailgating than in Provo. Um, you know, Oregon, you know, that school's playing at Oregon State, at Washington State, that kind of thing a Pac-12 type of deal, you know, Gamecocks don't do, haven't done that. You know, they, you know, it, it's basically old ACC teams uh, are, are, let me, let me put it this way, like, cause Virginia Tech and Miami are in the ACC now, but they weren't old teams. The Gamecocks used to play when they're an independent. Uh, and then there's talk about what adding West Virginia to the schedule. Now, that would be, that would be technically a big 12 team, but the Gamecocks played West Virginia a lot when they were independents. Um, and then North Carolina, NC State, and all that. You know, I, I think there's some tricky in, in the beginning uh, for the next till the middle of the decade. Some potentially tricky non-conferences. You know, 2022 Georgia State, Charlotte, and Wofford. Like in addition to Clemson, are the non-conferences. I I believe the Gamecocks should handle business there. I mean, it's uh, you know Georgia State shown the ability to pull upsets, and you know. If Sean Elliott's still coaching there, it's going to be a big deal to him. Charlotte's right up the road. They got a really good coach. You know, they're going to look forward to coming over or coming down. And then Wofford's always a, a pain. 2023, Gamecocks go to Charlotte to play UNC, but then, and they play Furman at home. Furman's not what it was in the 80s. Let's just be honest. Maybe they'll get back there, maybe not. But they also have Liberty. And so who knows if Hugh Freeze will still be at Liberty. Uh, at that point, 2024, there's still a spot left. Old Dominion comes in for the opener. I think that makes sense to play them in an Akron. And then the 2025 schedule, right now, it looks like a bear. But you don't know. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? So they, the Gamecocks did get the Chick-fil-A kickoff, which if you can get that near the Gamecocks, it's invaluable. Everybody watches those games opening – weekend it's it's always part of the 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 big time slate um if you can get the labor day game even better uh if you're the gamecocks or a sunday game where you got it kind of exclusive um and it's always good to play in atlanta uh and then they have the game and boone at app state and then before the clemson game in late november they play coastal carolina that's the makeup for this game that was this past year so that's you know, right now you, you kind of look at the App State and Coastal are kind of mid-major darlings. Virginia Tech's always tough, but I mean, who, who knows? I mean, I, I think that 
there's a chance Justin Fuente won't even be the coach at Virginia Tech by the time they play. So they may be in transition. Um, I don't know about App State and kind of their future right now. You know, is Coastal going to be the new App State? You know, with Chadwell, he's a great coach, but, you know, uh, it was a different year last year, you know. Um, and, and so then the game guys go through. They play Miami, North Carolina. You got NC State in the early 2030s. Uh, and then in the mid-2030s, Virginia Tech. Um, you know, so what's going to happen? I mean, you know, you have a lot of the – you look at South Carolina's schedule, 2028, 2029, 2030, 2031, and you look at other schools and, they, you know, not Clemson, but some other schools, Georgia, Alabama, and at this point they're starting – Florida, they're starting to sort of – you know, not just stick to, hey, the rivalry game and the and two patsies and then this other, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what the philosophy ends up being. Uh, and if the Gamecocks maybe do add uh, another power five to the, to, to the mix, you know, just kind of like everybody else. I know right now, uh, and, and then this drives me crazy because sometimes people, you know, there's a, you schedule a home and home for 10 years from now, people are like, we need all the wins we can get. We suck. And you're like, yeah, dude, it's 10 years. I mean, you have to kind of <laughs> – you have to have some faith. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and then if you don't, you can always get out of it. South Carolina scheduled a home-and-home home with Georgia Tech, which I think should have been being played right now, like 2020, 2021. And they got out of it because it got close, and it's like, you don't want to play the team that runs the option and cut blocks you all day, and, and you know, you've got some other opportunities, so, so you got out of it. But, um, you know, what drives me crazy is, is when you schedule – and this drove me crazy. I think it was the – it was, was – was it the 2013? No, it, it, this happened over the course of a few years. When you schedule a one-off with Navy coming into town and then you schedule at UCF, I mean, to me, that's just like – that's asking for trouble, you know. And I'm not a huge fan of going to Greenville or Boone, but – I think a lot of fans, though, that look at it a certain way and want to go someplace new, uh, and Gamecock fans have shown that if it's new, they'll, they'll they'll go. I mean, look at the crowd they brought to Ole Miss in 2018. The heck of a crowd. Made a difference. Um, hadn't been to Ole Miss since 2008, so, hey, let's get in the car and go. I mean, it's a lot different, you know, and it's because it's because of this, too. Like, when, when you first joined the SEC, probably the first – you know, 10, 15 years, you know, you're always fired up about making that trip up to Neyland and, you know, even if it doesn't mean anything. And you're fired up about, you know, going to Athens every other year and you're fired up when you get to go down to Auburn. And I still think the Gamecock fans are fired up about going to Auburn. They don't play a whole lot. But, you know, the trips to Lexington and Nashville and Gainesville, they, they, you know, they, they, but then they get old. You know, people wonder sometimes when you look at the difference, you know, it's been 20 years. Uh, between the crowds the Gamecocks and other teams would bring to the Outback Bowl in the early part of the 2000s versus what usually shows up for that game now, no matter who the, uh, the, 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 the opponent is or, or whatever. And it's because a lot of these bowl games the SEC has ties with, and they've done a good job like reaching out at Las Vegas Bowl and some other groups. You know, we, we've gone through a cycle of about 30 years where, you know, how many how many times can you really enjoy the Outback Bowl? I mean, you know, South Carolina's played the Outback Bowl five times. 
And uh, how, how many, you know, how many more trips to Tampa are going to be special, special the first couple of times, um, you know, and I, I don't know. I think the bowls and for the same, you know, with the, with the snaking sec schedule to where you avoid, you know, South Carolina, by the time they go to Alabama in a couple of years, they wouldn't have played in Tuscaloosa since 2009. That was year three of Saban. And that's probably a good thing. The game guys haven't had to go over there a lot. But, you know, still, it's it's Alabama. I mean, you, you get fired up about making that road trip. So, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think things have gotten stale a little bit. Um, it does drive me crazy when the, you throw Navy on there. You know, you don't want to play triple option teams. Um, unless somebody in the league, like Vanderbilt, starts running. Somebody starts running the triple option, avoid those teams. And, and I'm, I'm not talking about what – Coastal does. I'm talking about the under center cut blocking the Wofford style uh, or Georgia Tech style triple option. So anyway, that's what's happening there with scheduling. And and be sure to check out. uh, I broke it all down on the Big Spur, uh, the Gamecocks future schedule and all the opponents and and everybody else. It's a it's a it's a fascinating discussion. And uh, I, I think if I had a criticism uh, that I would, I would, I would think it, it'd be kind of fun if South Carolina, you know, like Ole Miss and Mississippi State and, and some of these other schools are doing, would, would schedule some, you know, flight trips, exotic trips. I mean, I, I think it'd be great uh, for South Carolina to play UCLA. Their home stadium is the Rose Bowl. I mean, that, that'd be kind of fun. Southern Cal would be fun. That, that once upon a time they played Notre Dame would be fun. You know, it's, I think it's, then there's a line to play Notre Dame sometimes, but uh, you know, th- that kind of thing, you know, even, even like Minnesota or something would be fun. I mean, I, I think just shake it up. Um, and, and I, and I'm one too, that I'll, I'll tell you from now till the day I die, South Carolina definitely needs to play North Carolina and NC state, preferably North Carolina. Um, and I'm not against playing Virginia Tech in Atlanta or Miami. I think that's going to be a heck of a road trip. But I, if I had a criticism, I would like to see a little more creativity, more in line with with some of the Gamecocks' peer schools. Now, I'm certainly not saying go out and schedule like Georgia. I, I think Georgia may be making a mistake. I think they may be overestimating some things. Now, like I said, who knows – you schedule Texas now. You look and you see how much Texas has struggled for ten years, and but you know chances are they're going to come. They're going to be back at some point. I don't know if it'll be Sark that does it, but at some point. So be sure to check that out on the Big Spur. Uh, I believe all, it's all free content. So if you're not a subscriber, you can still go check that out, uh, and we'll tweet it out from at the Big Spur Pod here pretty soon. And now I'll add one more thing. I, you know, as far as South Carolina's philosophy goes. You know, it may also be this. You know, like some of these teams, uh, look, I have no issue, none, um, with Arizona State being on an SEC team schedule. I think it's a quick flight to Phoenix, as we all found out, um, and it'd be cheaper <laughs> if you could book it in advance, but we all found out in the Final Four, that's an accessible city. Um, they don't necessarily pack it out. There's plenty of tickets. Georgia went out there a couple of years ago. I thought the dogs may have them outnumbered. Same with LSU. Uh, you know, I've, I've even, but how many how many fans are really going to go to Corvallis and Pullman? You know, Berkeley. 
the Bay Area, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, uh, I I do think there's something to be said by about scheduling games your fans can get to. Uh, but at the same time, you got to balance it with fan interest and all that. I, I'll say this. I know that, you know, look, if South Carolina can get in the neutral site games uh, in Dallas or, you know, Orlando in the coming years, uh, one of those spots, that'd be, that'd be a good opportunity. I, I think going – anytime you can go to Atlanta for those games, you got to take it. you got to take advantage of that. Um well, the Charlotte thing's dying out. I mean, as far as Gamecock fan interest, I, and I, I think, I think too, though, it, if they do play in Charlotte again, you know, maybe look at somebody. I mean, you know, what, what's you know, if South Carolina played Notre Dame in Charlotte? I think a lot of you would be a lot more excited about that. <laughs> um, so I am glad they're going more to a home and home model. Uh, you get to go to different places and, and things like that. And, and you know, right now they're all pretty much accessible. Uh, you know, so, so, that's, so that's something else on the Gamecock end to think about. It. I don't know what Shane Beamer's scheduling philosophy is. Somebody should probably ask him about that. But um, I uh, – judging by what, you know, I, I think he'd probably be a lot more like Steve Spurrier and his dad – uh, than maybe probably more like his dad because what Virginia Tech would do they they didn't over schedule you know they, they would have some teams on their schedule they could be but then if they got a big opportunity to go you know play a big name opponent they would take it you know Virginia Tech didn't they kind of like being in these neutral site games and things of that nature so I would guess it would be more like that opportunity and of course Ray Tanner and his staff have a lot to do with you know, the schedule as well. So we'll see what happens. Enough about scheduling. Um, baseball, big series win, or I'm oh, sorry, big series coming up starting tomorrow against Tennessee. Uh, their coach had some good things to say about the Gamecocks today, said it wouldn't surprise them. They went to Omaha. They got a good team. It's a tough place to play. Uh, Founders Park is at 100% capacity now. So Gamecock fans, here's your chance to – get out and go to a packed sporting event for the first time in a long time. I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the weather forecast for Columbia this weekend, but, you know, get out of the ballpark. I mean, even if you're not a huge baseball guy or gal, uh, it's fun. It's fun to get out there and, you know, it'll probably be fun to be amongst Gamecock fans again, you know, in a big, in, in a non-restrictive way, <laughs> you know, so if you've been vaccinated, get on out there to the ballpark and enjoy yourself. I, I, uh, you know, have a cold one and, you know, watch a little ball and, you know, get used to being back to normal. Uh, Gamecocks won last night, two to nothing over App State. Probably a little closer than most people would have liked, but that took Carolina to 32 and 18 overall. Uh, regional host still very much in play, depending on Tennessee and then the SEC tournament. Uh, Tennessee's fighting for an SEC championship. They are very good this year. This is not your Vols teams of, of yesteryear. <laughs> They've got a lot of good players, and um, it's not going to be easy for South Carolina this weekend. Better hit the ball uh, pretty well uh, if they're going to win uh, against the Vols. But uh, that starts Thursday night, the last regular season series. Gamecocks sit at 32-18 and 18 overall through 50 games, 15-12 and 12 in the SEC. Um, going to get to the mailbag now. And there's two ways to get to the mailbag. 
Um, you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pot. We've got several of those, and you can email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. We put out a little uh, request and uh, got some responses this morning. So appreciate that. You're going to get get it uh, get it read right away. Golf Cox, Jim, he uh, tweets to us. With our lack of depth and experience in the secondary, can Torrey and Gray be the difference? Curious if it was the coaching that was lacking in the previous years. Don't know if the real need is better talent in the secondary. Well, you know, keep in mind, when you talk about individual talent, you know, the Gamecocks lost, lost two guys that were drafted by the NFL a third guy, Jamie Robinson, who will be drafted, uh, who Florida State absolutely loves and, and who Gamecocks absolutely loved when he was there. Uh, and then a guy, John Dixon, that started a lot at corner uh, and played pretty well, actually outplayed Cam Smith during their two years there. So, so you did lose some some ta- some talent. Now, why did the secondary play awful last year? I have no idea. Um, I, I think there's a lot of different philosophies <laughs> that you could, uh, you know, you could you could probably point to, uh, or philosophies, uh, you know, opinions. Um, I'm convinced that this. I'm convinced it was too difficult because uh, I think that when you look at the individual talent that is played in the South Carolina secondary during the Muschamp era. And the guys that have not only been drafted, but who haven't been drafted and who've stuck on NFL rosters like Keyshawn Nixon, those guys are being prepared to play at the next level. And that's individual talent development. I mean, they're 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 prepared uh, to go in and, and play at the highest level. So that means something South Carolina was doing prepared them. And I've heard through the grapevine some of the NFL schemes and stuff are easier. Uh, and you kind of look at the history of the the quote-unquote Saban defense and things like that, and when you have the ability to go sign basically whoever you want, uh, you can not only evaluate athletic ability and all that, but if you've got a guy that's got all the ability in the world that can't run your scheme or your system or is not a good communicator, you can, you can pass on him no matter what star rating and get a guy you want. South Carolina doesn't really have that luxury. You have to take talented guys. And I'm not saying these guys weren't smart. I'm saying that this type of thing is difficult for any college team to be running um, based on what I've heard. I don't now do, do I look at it and can I discern that? No, I'm not a coach. I, I, I rely with stuff like that on people that have, have done it and been in the, uh, been in the game, but I mean, you know, and, and, and I'm off the record and, and then they kind of tell me what's up. But you can even look at some of the, you know, the uh, the comments from other coaches. With all respect, you know, Ed Orgeron last year, I'm surprised South Carolina played like that. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's been surprising. You know, so so your question is, is it coaching? Is this going to be uh, a coaching – is it all coaching? Well, I, I don't think you can say that given the players they've lost and then the unknowns. We don't know – how good or not good a lot of these guys are going to be. We just don't know. Now, uh, I'll say this. If the secondary is awful this year, I, I don't think it's going to have anything to do with Tory and Gray. I think his track record speaks for itself. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it'll have anything to do with the scheme. 
Uh, I, I think that thing is going to be, it's just going to be a matter of inexperienced players. And, you know, frankly, when you play the schedule the Gamecocks do, you're going to go up against a lot of great receivers and a lot of good, pa- great passing teams. Um, so do I think Torian Gray can be a difference? Yes, I think he's going to make a difference. My gut feeling is, is that the secondary is going to be not ideal. But, uh, you know, is it going to be – I mean, I'd be really surprised if the collective result and outcome – was anywhere close to last year, just to be honest. Are they going to give up some big plays? Yes. Are teams going to be able to rack up some passing yards? Yes. Uh, do I think it's going to be a situation where they give up 159 points in three games? No. I'd, I'd be surprised about that just because I think there's a new philosophy and uh, there's some things they can do that are, that are going to make it less Swiss cheese-ish. Swiss, Swiss cheese-ish. There we go. Tilly D emails or tweets in he says it is clear that Shane Beamer has a plan to bring South Carolina back from irrelevance in the football world he's using his likeness to be seen anywhere he is asked to build the brand of South Carolina football he is expanding our recruiting footprint and investing in players Uh, besides winning football games which is the best thing you could do how else could Shane Beamer set the program up for success If anyone with a brain between their ears will pay attention, it's easy to see that Shane Beamer has a legitimate plan to bring the Gamecocks back. Uh, Look, Beamer's doing what Beamer needs to do. I mean, relevance was an issue the day Steve Spurrier walked out the door. And one of the failures of the Muschamp era was when there was an opportunity for relevance, uh, it was a face plant. Okay, and and I've given those examples many times. The Kentucky 2017, all right? You win that game, you get the Kentucky ghost off your, you know, you exercise the Kentucky demons. Uh, You you had Louisiana Tech the next week, and I know they struggled in that, but I think that was a hangover game. Um, So you're starting 4-0 going to Texas A&M, where you played the Aggies within a touchdown and should have won. You know, but, but that the Kentucky loss just took the air out of the balloon, you know, before they even had a chance to get going. I mean, I you're maybe looking at a 5-0 start in 2017. Now, that, that year turned out well, 9-4. and four, But a lot of teams on the schedule lost their coach that year, too. Um, you know, and, and so then you move forward. You know, that, that Florida game in 2018 I talk about, you know, at that point, you go down there in the swamp and beat them. And sure, people are talking about what's wrong with Florida, what's wrong with Mullen, but you know, then you got a chance to to go eight and four. I don't think you end up in the Belt Bowl. I think maybe the the Gator Bowl at least, maybe something bigger. Uh, you know, but you blew that lead. You know, you have a chance to go out and make a statement. And Mac Brown's return to college football, and he beats you. All right, that's that's even fine. You go and you you know you beat Georgia on the road. Relevance, there's some relevance right there. You know, people are talking about the Gamecocks all of a sudden because you you beat one of the cabal in Georgia, uh, and then you got you know everybody's darling Florida come they come in and for the second straight year they completely outcoach you in the fourth quarter, and you lose thirty eight twenty seven. You know, just just 
you know, it wasn't going to be easy without Steve Spurrier or Lou Holtz on the sidelines getting that automatic attention. You know, especially also when you consider, you know, who's up the road. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, they've earned uh, their, you know, mystique nationally. I mean, you, you can't argue with what they've accomplished. Um, you know, South Carolina is just sort of right there. You know, people, when you go 11 and 37 against the teams you were supposed to beat, or I'm sorry, against the teams you were playing every year besides Vandy, I'm not going to say supposed to be because there's something, you know, obviously are, let's just say competitive. Um, you've got issues, you know, as far as, you know, how do you get that relevance back? And, and, and a lot of it is also besides, you know, it, it's an addition to winning games. I mean, you, you look at programs that have been built, you know, that aren't Nick Saban or, Kirby smart out there. And a lot of it has to do with the coach being likable and personable and having a different vibe, you know, on their campus. I mean, you know, Dabo Sweeney has a different vibe at Clemson than the vibe you get at Alabama or Ohio state under urban Meyer, Ryan day at Ohio state, different vibe than urban Meyer, probably a little bit, you know, I, I would never argue with urban Meyer recruiting cause the guy is a machine, and Ohio State's roster's sick. But today's kids probably relate to Ryan Day a little better, just to be honest. And, and you have to have that relation. Uh in and, and, and Beamer as the head coach and the you know, the 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 leader of the football program, yeah, he needs to get out and talk and uh and, and bring it back. Yeah, and relevance is an issue. I mean, it you know, heading into 2020, pandemic or not. You know, nobody was talking about South Carolina. Nobody's been talking about South Carolina this offseason. You know, just from, hey, here's who they've gotten back. Uh, and it's not an anti-South Carolina slant. It's 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 a relevance thing. And it's tough. It's been tough the last five or six years. So absolutely. That that that's you know, that doesn't win you a single game, but residually, you know, it helps your program. It helps your program. Uh, expanding the recruiting footprint, something I believed in all the time. Uh, I like working – the Gamecocks working north-south from Miami to Boston or Miami to New York, uh, the I-90, you know, up and down I-95, plenty of players. You still have that great proximity to Atlanta. You, you still can spot recruit Alabama and sometimes Louisiana, which I think is very, very smart. You still got junior college players that that leave, you know from the state that or North Carolina that get the thing. And right now too, there's a need to expand the footprint because of Mac Brown at North Carolina and what he's doing in that state. Not only in that state, but you know if North Carolina, let's say that was the Fedora era was still going on, and you know you've got problems at, at Virginia Tech with Fuente recruiting. Um, you know, UVA sort of does its own thing with their evaluations under Bronco Mendenhall. The 757, the Tidewater area, Virginia Beach, Hampton Roads, uh, stacked with talent. Stacked with talent. Um, but right now, North Carolina's getting a lot of those guys. You know, just like they did when they got Ronald Curry and those guys the first time Mac was there. So not only are, you know, the state of North Carolina's difficult, but – 
you've got a potential place given the Beamer name and his ties there to 757 that you could make some inroads in where the Tar Heels are also problematic. You know, so, so you sort of skip over that and 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 you, you you got a good thing. You know, people people talk about the residual uh effect of recruiting and you know i hate to keep bringing clemson up but that's the other school that you guys know the most about so uh, it's a good example um and i'll I'll use clemson and georgia for example i I think that you know getting todd Gurley and keith marshall out of north carolina a few years ago along with uh was a product of them going to north carolina and getting a a trenton sturdum type of guy and laying in roads up there. And Georgia's good to pick a couple off from North Carolina every year. I think Clemson landing C.J. Spiller allowed them to to be put in a position. And, look, I know Jamie Harper didn't do much there. Kyle Parker, you know, sort of a baseball guy. You know, I, that, that the you know, that landing of C.J. Spiller helped, helped them have inroads in northern Florida. Then those inroads ended up extending to the west coast of Florida. And that's when you got your Sammy Watkins and and all those guys that, that they go down there and get still. And now they just they just go everywhere. But it started with Spiller, class of 2006. And I think with the Gamecocks in the DMV, it started with Marshawn Lloyd. Because um, he's just that type of kid, um, big-time player. He's going to back it up on the field. Uh, but also a tremendous relationship builder, uh, a type of guy kids want to come play for or play with. Uh, and that's helped. That's helped. I don't know if it's going to bear uh, how much fruit it's going to bear. I think Braden Davis, the quarterback from Delaware, is already an example of Lloyd making some things happen in this class. But, uh, you know, I, I think everybody up that way knows Marshawn Lloyd. Now you can, you can keep rolling with it. And, you know, if you get a Ryan Brubaker or Keenan Nelson Jr. out of Pennsylvania, that's going to help you there. Um, Addison Copeland, you get him out of Buffalo, New York. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Buffalo doesn't have Buffalo, Rochester. Those places don't have guys every year, but that's going to help you build some inroads. Um, you know, just like GA Mangus did when he started getting guys out of New Jersey, Demir Bird, and then all of a sudden you, you get all these guys. Now, some of those guys didn't pan out for a number of reasons. You know, Sheldon Royster having a disease that wasn't something that anybody expected, but uh, Sheldon Royster had him in a disease and not. Uh, it's not being able to do much. Tanner McAvoy, quarterback, you know, you keep, you know, you go on and on about it. You know, Kiwan Lewis started for a while out from up in New Jersey, but you know, you, you're not, you're not going to be able to build a roster that um, wins the SEC East by relying on, you know, double digit 10 to 15 guys from DC or above every cycle. But you are going to be able to get guys that, you know, if they were in other states in the South, uh, you wouldn't have as good of a shot because of proximity. South Carolina is closer to to D.C. than any other SEC program. Tennessee may, miles-wise, if you go down 81, be a little closer. But, you know, you're going to be able to get – South Carolina has a ton of alumni up and down the East Coast. And I think – I think, you know, with the 757, it, it's kind of such a different place that, you know, it, it's sort of one of those spots where once you get a guy, you can get another guy and another guy and another guy. Um, you know, and so I think that it's just going to take that one guy 
for Carolina to get in there. But I, I think the rest of Virginia is pretty much open. I think you talk about the Richmond area. South Carolina's got four-star Ramon Brown coming in to visit, running back. Don't think they'll get him right now, but uh, he's visiting. You know, you've got the the Northern Virginia area, which is, is, is sort of a battleground because you do have Ohio State, Penn State, Notre Dame, Alabama is very active up there. Um, you know, but you can all, I mean, you've already got Ja'Kai Moore and Vershawn Lee from up that way. You know, I mean, so Eric Wolford did make some inroads, so you do have some guys. So I think Virginia can still be a good state for the Gamecocks. You know, you get into Maryland, you know, you, you've got some kids visiting, Peter Kikawatu, Kikawata, um, and then the linebacker up there, you know, you, you start picking one or two off from there. I mean, it, it just it, – you got to start with small numbers. But absolutely, I think expanding the recruiting footprint is smart because you, you just have to – you have to be realistic with where you're at. Now, I thought the previous staff did an excellent job evaluating the state of Georgia. I, I think where they were not as good – was in Florida. Uh, and I think this staff has done a really good job with Florida so far. And, uh, you know, the two guys from Georgia that they've had, I mean, you know, Donovan Westmoreland, big-time linebacker guy that was committed to Georgia at one point, really like his film. And then Grayson Maines, every time I watch this kid's film, he, he grows on me. You know, I think he's pretty pretty doggone good and athletic. So, they already got two from Georgia that are that are pretty good. So if you could continue to do that, and you could go and the key in Georgia is to land the guys like J.C. Horn, uh, J.J. Enigbare, um, those guys that are right there, upper level SEC guys. Don't take too many of them. Don't load up. Uh, go down to Florida and recruit speed and 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 moxie and toughness. Go pick off a couple in Alabama. Virginia, you know, do what you can in North Carolina. I don't think they're completely shut out. You know, maybe land one or two. That number should be five or six, ultimately. But right now, you just have to be realistic about what's going on up there. And, uh, you know, Mac Brown Part 2, the sequel, I mean, it's like The Godfather. The sequel could be better than the first one. (laughs) Um, And they keep working up north-south, work the whole east coast. Uh, and I think you can find enough players to definitely, over time, put a roster together that's good enough to compete uh, in the SEC East. Uh, and look, the bottom line too is this: like Antonio Williams from Dutch Fort, uh, that's a must get. That, that you know, I always say there are no must gets in recruiting, and there's really not. But when you talk about recruiting, you know, are you winning at recruiting? You know, that's the kind of thing you need you need to be focused on. Number one, the no-brainers within the state, the guys that can play, are you competitive with them? Are you getting them? Um, You know, I know Clemson's got some guys in state this year because of, you know, geography and all that, and plus they're really good. Uh, No shame in losing a guy. But there's no shame either to lose a guy to Georgia every now and then because that's going to happen. That's happened twice, Ingram Dawkins and Channing Tindall. Um, it's when Florida comes in and gets the kid from Sumter, or it's when North Carolina starts beating you on kids or Tennessee or Auburn. Uh, you know, that's, that's when things get tricky in recruiting. And that's when you gotta, that's a red flag. Also, uh, like in the case of Quan Peterson, the, the corner from South point, um, better, you know, 
evaluate all the in-state guys thoroughly because what you don't want to do is for a Quan Peterson or somebody like that, Xavier Short from Chapin to head somewhere else, and then you're struggling at that position and that kid's going to the NFL, uh, that's the thing. So th- those are the things to look for. But that, that's a very fascinating tweet. And I agree with you. I think, I think Shane Beamer is doing what he needs to be doing right now. And, and I think that's clear. Now, I don't know. You know, I, I think they're going to beat Eastern Illinois. I'll tell you what I think about the second game after the Illinois game. I, uh, I, you know, that's my deal there. I'm just, I'm not guaranteeing any wins and losses may not even do a season prediction this year. If I did, I'd probably do six and six just because I, I do think the Gamecocks can get back to a bowl. I think there's enough players on the roster. There'll be enough of a good attitude and good coaching and uh, a coaching staff that, you know, they're, it's their first year, you know, so you're not going to get some of that pressure, the, the, you know, the, oh, my God, we're on a hot seat and everybody's tense around the building. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, and these guys also have a lot to prove. So uh, in terms of where they're all at in their career. So I, I think you can get six out of this team, but I probably won't even predict it. I'm going to predict that they beat uh, Eastern Illinois, the Panthers. So there we go. All right, Jeremy. I have a theory that name, image, and likeness will benefit South Carolina. This is coming in from inside the Gamecast at gmail.com. And other schools that don't dominate on the recruiting trail, like Bama, Clemson, Ohio State. If they are a five star national recruit and they come to Carolina, they'll be well known throughout the program as opposed to being just another guy on Clemson or Bama's campus especially when they're local or in-state kids, just wondering if my theory can be valid. I think there's some full validity to it. I I think that that could be a pitch, you know, come here and, and be the man. Uh, I also think that college football in general needs to be very, very careful about endorsement deals for recruits, period. Um, unless they're just no-brainers. And, and look, let's talk about – who are the no-brainers that South Carolina signed? Uh, because, look, uh, that pitch worked, guys. I mean, that, that pitch worked during the spur era. Come here, do something that hadn't been done before, play for your home state, and get you the NFL. You can make all your dreams come true. Uh, and, and so that pitch works. And when you throw endorsement deals on it, too, I think it's uh, that's a big deal. Shoot, South Carolina signed the top-ranked guy of all time in the history of recruiting rankings in clowning. Um, you know, so when you're talking about a clowny or a Lattimore, like Marcus Lattimore to me, like if Jadevi and Clowney had not come to South Carolina, it would have been costly in terms of publicity. Obviously some great game saving plays he made over the years. You know, you, you, you talk about the, the Aaron Murray shake loose at Georgia as a freshman, Talk about the sack and strip he made against Tennessee when, oh, how embarrassing that would have been had Justin Worley led the game or had led the volunteers to a win in Columbia. You know, you talk about all the great plays, how he dominated against Georgia that, that year. And, you know, just just really, you talk about all that. But who, who's the recruit that really South Carolina pro- probably wouldn't have gotten Clowney had enough? That's Marcus Lattimore. I mean, Marcus Lattimore, the difference between the Gamecocks in 2009 with Kenny Miles, who was a good back, not a great one, 
and Marcus Lattimore the next year. That, that, that's the difference between seven wins and a loss in the Pizza Bowl and freaking the SEC East. And the bigger the game, the better Marcus play. Georgia, Alabama, Florida. Um, and and with a running back like that, it's it's tangible. You know, you you can. He's a game changer. He's a game changer. And um, you know, so so you so you talk about guys. You know, who who would have been the guys who you want to go get? Stephon Gilmore, obviously. Even though he was a composite four star guy, some people thought he was a safety. The coaching staff at South Carolina, the coaching staff at Alabama knew he was special. And so, yeah, you go get it. Marshawn Lloyd can end up being that valuable. So there's only a handful of guys all time. You know, at Clemson, uh, who coming in at Clemson would have been, you know, worthy of a pre-endorsement deal? I mean, Daquan Bowers was number one in the country. Probably in-state guy, but you know, obviously the the three guys that come to mind for me are four. I'll, I'll throw four in there. Uh, I'll throw five because I'll, I'll include. So C.J. Spiller would have been that guy. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson obviously were those guys, uh, and I think Sammy Watkins would have been a guy like that for them. K.J. Henry, no. K.J. Henry's a five-star, but no. I mean, I, I don't know that you you do that. Because I, I think sometimes, you, you know, th- there's different types of five-star guys. There's five stars based on what they are now. And there's no, there should almost be like a six-star, like, elite range where, you know, you, you just the, – the and they need to be not based on upside projection, but absolute no-brainer guys. Almost needs to be a separate ranking. Dexter Lawrence – Looking at Clemson, um, obviously, you know, here's a guy that wasn't even highly ranked uh, for Georgia. Uh, you know, I, I think you look at their guys over the years, I said, who's worth it? Stafford, Matt Stafford, definitely. A.J. Green, definitely. Um, you know, Todd Gurley, definitely, even though he was in the, you know, only in the 50s. You know, would Lorenzo Carter, who was a top 25-star guy, would that be a guy? With McCole Hardman at Georgia, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think South Carolina can use that to their advantage. Obviously, um, you know when you're talking about coming in, do do I think this is going to make uh, Alabama come back to earth? Because I think that's what it is, right? All right, that, that that that's what it is. We can, you know, yes, Clemson's done a great job of winning national titles, of beating Alabama twice. Of, of being one of the best, very best programs in the country, top five program. They're nothing compared to Alabama year in and year out. Ohio State's probably closer to Bama uh, year in and year out roster-wise with how they recruit and stuff, but they're not close either. And neither is Georgia. Um, they're right there in that second tier. They're really good, and they can beat Bama on a given day. But not a lot of teams said it, but the reason we don't have pair, more parity college football right now, it's in Tuscaloosa. It's in Tuscaloosa because not only are they Alabama and they can go sign, you know, that they just pick from the, the, the place. Of the country. I talked about the no-brainers earlier. They can get whoever they want. So, so, so they, they, they look at a, a, a pool of players that are elite to begin with athletically, and then they can go take it a step further and go, 
you know, like, like we're at South Carolina, like, let's say, you know, you, you, right, Sam, I'll, I'll give Sam McCall as an example. He's a five-star player committed to FSU. South Carolina wants him badly. There's no circumstance where South Carolina can turn him down because he's a, and, and, you know, he may get to campus and, and be great. I personally think he would start at South Carolina all four years at whatever position they put him at probably safety, maybe wide receiver. Um, but, you know, if you dig into Sam McCall, well, he doesn't have that big of a high school or football IQ. He has trouble learning his assignments, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, Alabama can pass on him. South Carolina cannot. And, and, and so when you, when you have that ability to take the evaluations the step further, and you're very, very good at it, and you have the best player development in the country, and you lead the country in NFL. Guys, they're just – it sucks so much oxygen – uh, out of everyone else and, and, and check this out. I mean, and people, people don't want to believe me because Clemson has done a great job of beating them twice. And uh, Clemson's right there. And I know people, that's more in people's mind than Alabama, but you know, you, you sort of look around and, you know, I don't think Clemson fans would even argue with me that the ACC is just garbage. And it's it's not Clemson's fault, uh, and Clemson probably still would win the league. I mean, I I tend to think that teams being better, uh, you know, rising up like Miami last year, that just makes Clemson play harder. I mean, that's just uh, you know, and then they've got uh, there's a gap. But 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 let's let's look at this. Okay, so so here are Alabama's draft picks and where they're from. Jalen Waddles from Bel Air, Texas. Well, why isn't Texas that good? Hmm. Why can't AM catch Alabama? Uh, Patrick Sertain is from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, well, uh, what about the big three in Florida that normally would get a guy like that? Mac Jones, kind of an evaluation from the Bowl School. Alex Leatherwood, Pensacola, Florida. Now, Pensacola is a place that Bama is usually competitive, even when the big three run in the state. Still a Florida kid. Najee Harris from Antioch, California. Wyatt and Southern Cal, that good. Christian Barmore from Philadelphia. You don't think Penn State could have used him? Uh, you know, it, it's just, you know, you go back to the, the last draft. Honolulu, Hawaii for Tua. Jedrick Willis is from Lexington, Kentucky. Jerry Judy's from Pompano Beach, Florida. I mean, it, it, Trevon Diggs is from Maryland, the DMV. Terrell Lewis is from District of Columbia. See, I'm telling you, there's players up there. You know, so – what they're doing is they're taking guys out of everybody's backyard. Now we, we talked about Clemson and I think that's part of what they've been doing really well. I mean, you, you, you start looking at the Tigers, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, if Clemson hadn't risen like they have, uh, do we think he would have probably Northwest Georgia kid, maybe gone to Tennessee, Tennessee kept rolling. Travis Etienne's from Louisiana. Took him out of LSU's backyard. Jackson Carmen is from Fairfield, Ohio, Ohio State's backyard. Amari Rogers, another one for Tennessee out of Knoxville Catholic. Cornell Powell's from Greenville, North Carolina. You know, you think the Tar Heels could have used him. Uh, oh, all the way, Isaiah Simmons from Olathe, Kansas. You think K-State, KU? Yeah, A.J. Terrell was an Atlanta kid. T. Higgins, Knoxville. You know, Tanner Muse, Charlotte, from our Belmont. You know, in-state kid John Simpson. Kevon Wallace is from Highland Springs, Virginia. 
uh, low three-star guy they got out of there. Uh, and Tremaine Ankrum, Power Strings, Georgia, was a was an evaluation out of Georgia. So when you go and you pick guys off from other schools' backyard, you know, where they had they stayed home, you know, they, they'd have probably been at LSU or Tennessee or wherever in normal years. That that says a lot. That says a lot. And they've already got a four-star offensive tackle from Ohio committed this cycle and a four-star quarterback from Austin, Texas, uh, committed this cycle. And so, you know, yeah, people wonder, you know, and, and, and they don't do it like Alabama. They do it a little bit different. But that's why the, the oxygen's been sucked out of the room to a certain extent. And I think anything you could do to combat that uh, is a positive thing. All right, that's all the time we have on the Inside the Game Guys podcast. Be sure to check it out, JB and Goldwater today. It's Talking Wednesday because I always, like I said, I have that, that interview in Tuscaloosa in the mornings. I always like to cut a pod. Sometimes we do with JC and Morgan today, and then we get JB and Goldwater. So it's always fun, hump day, to talk about the Gamecocks and everything else in the college football world. This is JC Sherbert. Get those uh, – Get those mailbag questions in inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod because we'll have more episodes later this week. Folks, all you have a good day and we'll holla at you soon.